And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always in Zoom conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. Tim, we missed a show toward the end of last week, which mean, means uh, it's been a little while since we've, we've spoken Mets baseball, but it seems like some of the themes of, of this year's shows carried on in our absence. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot has changed in the last week. The Mets continue not to be able to score, and they pitch fine, and they're still uh, hanging on to first place. Uh, I mean, like, we could be doing the same show we did, what, a week and a half ago, like, talking about Kyle Schwarber hitting too many home runs against the Mets, uh, and that they're not scoring enough runs. Those are those are the two dominant themes. To be fair, it seems like Kyle Schwarber, while he has done a particularly high amount of damage against the Mets, it doesn't seem like it's really just a Mets thing at this point with, with Kyle Schwarber. It's a like freakish home run explosion thing that just so happens to have corresponded with when the Nationals are playing the Mets a bunch. I mean, it's it's eight home runs in 14 games against other teams in the last two and a half weeks and seven home runs in three games against the Mets. So it does, it does turn the volume... like. He's at a nine against everyone else, and he's turned up to eleven against the Mets. That's fair. That's fair. And uh, the, I mean, the one of the pitches he hit, well, uh, a bunch of the pitches in in, in Monday night's game that uh, Jared Eichoff threw were hit concerningly hard by members of the Washington Nationals. It's a, he he managed a, a weirdly efficient game and, and was able to work deeper than I think you might have expected after the first inning. But uh, given the state of the Mets offense, uh, it has to be a little bit concerning uh, to look at the state of the back of the Mets rotation as well. It's, it's never a good feeling when three pitches into... Uh the, the outing of your starter, you feel like you're down an insurmountable amount. Uh, and that, that's, that, that feels bad for both parts of your, your, your team, your, your rotation. You know, Eikhoff gave up, gave up the two home runs right away to Schwarber and Turner. Uh, and then uh, the offense has been so uh, inept against starting pitchers in particular, uh, even when those starters are bullpen guys like Paulo Espino uh, mm-hmm. on Monday night, uh, that a two-run deficit to the Nationals felt like something big you know they end up scoring four runs they score once in the seventh and three times in the eighth uh but like they're, they're just not scoring in the first six innings of, of baseball games uh which is really problematic because they've played some seven inning baseball games lately uh that even managed to win uh, a few of those uh is impressive but yeah you've got Eikhoff and and Tyler McGill who goes on Tuesday night we're recording this Tuesday morning uh those guys are kind of battling it out for uh that that Joey Lucchese spot in the rotation uh and you know, the, there's not too many spots you need that person until the trade deadline when, when the Mets will 
you know, look likely look to add another starter, a more experienced starter uh, than either of those guys. But uh, I would have said going into Monday that Ikov had a little bit, you know, if you're just looking at them based off of um, kind of the biographical information that Ikov, you know, is more of a veteran, has more uh, major league experience, uh, and uh, doesn't have options the way McGill does. You know, you can send McGill back down, no problem. Ikov, you'd have to put through waivers. Uh, that, that he might have a slight leg up, but uh, after getting hit as hard as he did on Monday, uh, but like you, you know, like you said, weirdly economically uh, that he got through six innings anyway. Uh, maybe you know if McGill bounces back tonight on Tuesday and and pitches the same way he did the first time around, he he could probably take the leg up himself. Yeah, I mean, Eikhoff is a guy who had a, a pretty good deal of success as a young pitcher with the Phillies, but, um, and, you know, certainly we've seen countless examples of, of pitchers who, uh, you know, come up and have some success and sort of go away for a while, have some injury issues, figure things out and, and reemerge as, as valuable pieces. Uh, not a lot about Eikhoff's outing on Monday suggested that that's in the courts. Now, again, it's a very hot-hitting Washington Nationals team. Uh, he's not the only one allowing home runs to Kyle Schwarber right now. But it, just the way it was like the, the exit velocity Olympics in that game, it felt like every single ball the Nationals hit, uh, and, and they, weren't, they weren't swinging and missing very often. often. Uh, they were aggressive and just pounding the ball. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got a little bit of a, of a 2006 fifth starter feel, if you remember that season, where mm-hmm. uh, like for the middle months, of, for most of that summer, they were looking for that fifth starter. Uh, and they were plugging in guys like like Jose Lima and uh, Jeremy Gonzalez. There's a there's a guy named David Williams. I'm looking at the Baseball Reference page who made I five stars. Some I don't remember him. The, I, I believe it's the uh, sadly the late Jose Lima and the late Jeremy Gonzalez. That's right? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Ale Soler. Grim turn. Yeah. So it, it, like that's kind of the the feel. But that offense was really good, uh, and you could win those games even if those guys went you know something like what Ikoff did on Monday night. Uh, but the Mets haven't been able to to win those games uh, of late and and really all season, uh, and that's really I think that's it, it's it's just such a strange dynamic because their their pitching has been really good this year. Uh, ERA has has been leading the majors for a while, uh, right there with San Diego kind of jockeying back and forth, uh, and the offense has been down at the bottom of the league in terms of runs per game uh, with Pittsburgh, uh, and yet when you look at like what changes they're going to try to make over the next 30 days uh it's basically well they need another pitcher like uh because you've got guys coming back to the offense you think the offense should be better but there is that kind of scary notion of but what if it's not (laughs) because when they were when they were healthy in april they still didn't hit uh and then everyone got hurt and they didn't hit and it was it was very reasonable for them not to hit because they had all of these uh, backup pieces in but if all those players come back if Jeff McNeil Jeff McNeil is back and Michael Conforto is back and Brandon Nimmo comes back uh, and you're still lingering toward the bottom of the league in offense and, and those guys uh, Nimmo has actually hit very well this year in his limited time but like McNeil and Conforto have OPS pluses under 100 uh, Lindor's under 100 Dom Smith is under 100 if, if all of those guys continue to be below average offensive performers I, I don't know what you do to make them better <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a 
funny and weird thing because I think coming into the season, I know I felt very confident that the Mets would have a not just a, a capable offense, but I, I thought a, a very good offense. We looked at the depth. You looked, you know, one through eight in the lineup. And, and as you referenced and as we've discussed all year, there have been a, a ton of injuries. But now McNeil is back and Conforto is back. And uh, you assume, you know, uh, at least a few injuries. Uh, you don't count on you don't figure on a, a Jonathan VR going to the disabled list being a, a potentially crippling blow to your offense and how we, how we sit in at the end of June uh, is with the Mets at, at 3.59 runs per game, uh, nearly a run below the 4.41 league average. And, and as you referenced, you know, jockeying back and forth with the with the moribund Pittsburgh Pirates for the for the worst offense in the league. If they just had a league average offense and Gary Cohen references on the broadcast last night, they would be running away with the division. And and I don't. Like it's and they they've already changed hitting coaches, so we can't say it's it's a you know it's a team wide problem because they're they're getting the wrong messages. Um, it's a bunch of guys with track records: uh, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, longest of all, and and Dominic Smith. You know, guys who hit last year. Uh, you can't can the whole team. You can't bench everyone. You can see these signs of hope of Francisco Lindor, especially hasn't hit well enough to get himself out of that. Uh, that early season hole in the stat line, but he's been he's been hitting the ball hard. You you know you you can't you look for a boogaboo. You know like you always want to find like okay here is the problem like and and you know if we just tie this shoelace everything will come together. But as the season draws on, you start to wonder uh, when is this going to happen because these guys should be able to hit. Yeah, I mean you you feel good on on a night like Monday where you see Lindor hit the ball hard like four times even though he didn't get a hit. Uh, McNeil hit the ball hard uh, and got a couple of hits. You know, Alonzo goes deep, McKinney goes deep. You, you feel like they, that could be the start of something, but we've seen that so many times this season, uh, and it's been a, a false start. And then you go into a series against Atlanta uh, where you've got um, – you're facing their best pitchers in in Morton, Freed, and Anderson. Uh, and, you know, it, one of the interesting things that, that Luis Rojas brought up and, and – that I had been tracking a little bit is like the, the Mets have been very bad against curveballs this year. They're down at the bottom of the league in batting average against curveballs and strikeout percentage against curveballs. Uh, and what do Charlie Morton and Max Fried both throw really well uh, curveballs? So I think that's going to be something to watch on Tuesday and Wednesday night is just how much they attack off speed. Uh, you know, we've seen it in like I think Dom Smith in particular has been the guy who's been pitched backwards this year. Uh, and hasn't seen mm-hmm. as many fastballs, uh, but he was a he was a very good off speed hitter in 2020, and it just like an an exceptionally good off speed hitter in 2020. Yeah, and just had like right? a, a weird start with a, in April, and was better against off speed in May, but still hasn't caught up totally, uh, and so has been attacked very differently so far this year than he was last year, uh, and just hasn't. I, I think has made the adjustment, has made an adjustment, but not quite the adjustment that gets him back to to where he was last year. Uh, so that's that's something to watch is just how how the team as a whole is attacked by pitchers who have that good north south breaking ball like Morton and Freed do. Yeah, I'm always skeptical of the you know the stats the the stats that that give you the results on specific pitchers uh, specific pitches you know both ways both with the hitters and and with the pitchers because 
Uh, I think so much of that is is based on on sequencing, but just like just to the eye test and watching Paolo Espino uh, last night, and no disrespect to him, but not a guy who uh, is throwing that you know Charlie Morton curveball, right? It, um, but you know his curveball looked good, and the Mets looked like they had just no chance. It looked like they were they were you know teenagers facing him. Yeah, I mean that I think it was that McNeil at bat. Uh, maybe in the fifth inning, where after after they'd let Eikhoff hit and he had uh, sacrificed, uh, I guess Mazika over to second base. Uh, maybe it was Guillaume, uh, and McNeil got like a, a one strike curveball that he swung over, and you knew he was going to get it the next pitch too. And uh, he swung over that again, and and like you said, didn't look like he had much of a chance against that pitch. And that's really strange to see from McNeil in particular, uh, a guy who doesn't strike out much, doesn't swing and miss much. They just kind of look lost against that specific breaking ball. Do you think that Brandon Nimmo is another? Like, is is there what happens here? I guess it make me feel better because how does this how does this end? Like, I, I I really don't I don't have an answer. I don't have a suggestion. Like, but this this can't keep happening, right? Like, there's there's just no way this many hitters can perform so far below established career norms for very long like that's just not what i know to be true about baseball at all so here's the the good news for the mets uh and it's it's not immediate so i apologize uh you've got nimmo could who was initially going to be back today against the braves had it pushed back because they didn't they wanted him to get more at bats in triple a get his timing down uh he hadn't had very good results during his rehab assignment uh he'll be back on friday now against the yankees uh, and then a, a week after that, you start looking at what the schedule looks like around the All-Star break. The Mets have the unusual schedule element. They play four games at home against the Pirates before the All-Star break and three games in Pittsburgh right after the All-Star break. So they'll play seven straight games against Pittsburgh, who is the second worst team uh, in the National League, a team that does not pitch very well. Uh, and then they get three in Cincinnati after that, which is a, a ballpark that a lot of their a lot of Mets traditionally hit very well in, and the, the Reds, who have not pitched up to uh, their reputation uh, so far this season. So that's 10 games, and in particular those first seven against Pittsburgh, where, man, if, if, if you're looking at the end of that and you're averaging three runs a game in those games, that's when uh, you're, you're really concerned. Hope, you, know, you, you expect that should be a time where they break out a little bit, the, the way they did in Baltimore uh, earlier in June when they hit six home runs and scored 14 runs and just weren't able to carry that over when they played uh, the Padres next. And I guess what I keep reiterating here is that uh, for all the frustration there has been this season with the injuries in in the lineup and with the the ineffectiveness in the lineup, they're forty and thirty four. They have a three game lead over the Nationals. For for as hot as the Nationals have been, they're still just back at five hundred now. Like this is a it's a good spot to be in for a team that I would say, and and I don't really know that there's a there's much arguing it. I guess there's there, so there has been uh, some stellar performances in the starting rotation, and and I think that you can make the case that Degrom and Ty Walker and Marcus Stroman have all overperformed or outperformed expectations handily, um, even for Degrom. But everyone else on the team, for the you know, and and the bullpen, I, the the pitching, I guess, top to bottom has been better than we expected. But I don't think the pitching has been so much has been more 
above expectation than the hitting has been below expectation, if you understand what I'm saying. And so for a team that has, I think, pretty definitely underperformed to to this point in the season, which is you know right up against the halfway mark at this point, um, for that team to be six games over 500 and and three games ahead in a division we expected would be would be good and be tight. Um, is a is a great spot to be in when you know when you assume uh, baseball will correct itself to some extent. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple different ways of looking at it, and it depends on kind of what your perspective is as a Mets fan, whether you are the optimist or the pessimist, because you you can take your view, which is the optimistic one, that uh, the the offense is more likely to uh, progress progress to the mean, like like play better than the pitching is to regress back uh and that uh you put that together you put last year's offense together with most of this year's pitching staff and you've got one of the best teams in the national league uh the the pessimist would say that they've clearly missed an opportunity to run away with the division like they could have a an eight or nine game lead at this point like you said if they just had an average offense uh and that there is there the other teams while they haven't played well while they all seem flawed uh, there is enough talent there that you can imagine any of them going on like a prolonged run where, uh, you know, that, that Nationals team can get to 90 wins, that Braves team can get to 90 wins, that Phillies team can get to 86 wins. Um, you know, where the Mets aren't going to win, they're going to have to play better in the second half, I think, to win the division than they've played in the first half. They're not going to be able to sneak by and win it with, with 86 or 87 wins, I don't think. Um, so they've, they've missed an opportunity to build on it. But like you said, uh, you know, that they're in this position at all is a testament to kind of the depth they've built up. The lack of, they don't have like anyone who's really sunk their chances that they had to play on a regular basis. Like we saw Cameron Mabin for maybe a week uh, who, who just, you know, struggled offensively, didn't bring a lot to the table and uh, at the plate. Uh, and they were able to move on and find Mason Williams, who was able to, to fill in. And like, you know, McKinney has been uh, a huge lift for them. One of the only guys they've got who's been... Uh, above league average in terms of OPS for them. I mean, he's the like he's like the hitter on the team I feel the best about right now. Like, that's it's like oh, I hope that Billy McKinney is coming up in this spot. <laughs> which is a if you had told me that that would be the case in in late March, I I would have said actually that sounds right because it's the Mets. <laughs> so like they, they, their depth has been really they haven't gotten you know really outside of McKinney. No one's been awesome out of their depth, but no one's been bad. So they've all been, you know, you've gotten a lot of guys uh, like Kevin Pillar who have filled it, you know, Kevin Pillar's OPS plus is only 91. It feels like it's better than that because of the timing of some of his yeah. bigger hits. Uh, uh, Jose, Jose Peraza is like that. Like every time I see Jose Peraza's stats and like he's just not hitting well. Uh, he's a 657 OPS, a 259 on base percentage. And yet like I feel like Jose Peraza has like half of the Mets big hits this year. Right, he's got a couple. He's got more home runs than you expect out of him. Uh, so that's been one of the things that that's kind of kept them afloat is that uh, having that veteran depth. You're not throwing, you know, you're not playing a guy like 2018 Jose Reyes uh, over and over where you've got a guy who's hitting 160 uh, in your regular lineup uh, the same way that that was going on that year. Uh, so that that's helped them uh, build, you know. A little bit of a lead over a division that has not played up to what I think most people expected. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Some, and we didn't, I didn't prep you to talk about this, so I hope you've been following, but uh, a story in the Daily News from, from Tisha Thosar uh, says that the Mets now intend to turn their clubhouse into a, a fog machine filled dance club after wins, which is a, a thing we've seen some some teams adopt in the past. Uh, the Cubs in in their world during their World Series run were, were very big proponents of the postgame dance party. Uh, I believe Joe Madden has taken that with him and it, to various stops. But the big piece of information uh, in this story, uh, and I'm quoting from it, it says, uh, there's there's just this paragraph. I'm going to read the whole paragraph. This is from the Daily News. The idea to create a party in the Mets clubhouse after every win was actually introduced before the 2020 season. Former manager Carlos Beltran brought the team smoke machines and lasers to pump up the atmosphere. Awesome. But they never saw use for two years. Two reasons. First, the Mets cut ties with Beltran because of involvement, his involvement in the Astros sign-stealing scandal before he ever managed a game. We know about that. Uh, second... The Mets are pretty sure Joanna Cespedes took the smoke machines and lasers with him when he opted out of the 2020 season. And that just makes me like this guy more that he stole the Mets fog machines and lasers like that. He was like, I am I am not playing this. Not only am I not playing this year, I'm not telling you I'm leaving, but you'll know I'm gone because I took the fog machines. I'm trying to figure out the logistics of this because... When Cespedes opted out, the Mets were on the road, if I remember correctly. They were in Atlanta last year. which And, like, it was, what was it? It was a Sunday afternoon where we found that out, uh, where people were, were genuinely concerned for U.N. Cespedes' well-being for a bit. Um, so this would, this would either, he, I guess he could have, he had to go back to the Mets clubhouse at some point to pick up his stuff. Uh, that he it didn't have to be like premeditated. We're on like Thursday as before they fly to Atlanta. He's like, I'm taking the smoke machines with me just in case. Uh, or you know maybe they wanted to turn the the road clubhouse in Atlanta into something, and he had them with him, and he just you know forgot to unload them when he decided to opt out. That's this is a mystery we need to get to the I, bottom of. I want to go see what he's doing with them at his, I assume he's at his ranch in Florida. And like I, now I'm assuming that his awesome, we know about his barbecues. Uh, and I'm going to just go ahead and guess they are now accompanied by, by fog machines and, and laser shows. And honestly, that frankly, that sounds like a, a, a lot better than, uh, than playing major league baseball, right? You know, as a way, if you're going to Cespedes, like that's a, he's made a lot of money already. That 
that's a good time. He just just roast a pig and and have a, a fog machine laser dance party. That's uh, good for him, man. Like a way to take everything with you on your way out. Yeah, I mean that's how you should spend a weekend, right? That, that's how you should spend your Saturdays, uh, rather than playing baseball and like playing this game of failure that everyone talks about all the time. Barbecuing late and during a laser show, not a game of failure. Have you ever played with the fog machine much? Uh, I think we had one in a school play when I was in like eighth grade, but that's that's about my only experience with it. We got one when I was when I've pre- previously referenced the the years in which I was largely focused on playing in a band. We got a, a fog machine uh, to incorporate into my band's show, and and I played the bass, so I didn't have to do a lot with like. Uh, like foot pedals, like a guitar guy did. So I used the fog machine pedal was like my foot pedal. And I was in charge of just fogging up every venue we played. And uh, we set off a number of smoke alarms. But man, were those parties cool. And like, and one time I brought it, my friend had a party, like just a house party in Virginia. And I made it so foggy that you couldn't see like more than like two to three feet in front of you and so and it was like a reunion party for a bunch of people from college so the experience was like you're just standing in the room and like someone you haven't seen in five years would just like walk into your your frame of view which was only like a, a two foot circumference around yourself and you'd be like hey frank how's it going good to see you and you'd be like all right i'm going to get a drink and be like i won't see you again because there's too much fog here because i brought the fog machine and made this party cool Pre- before i turned it on that party stunk i love the idea of you being like fog dude who goes around and ruins the, the party guy. for just everyone the else guy. everyone yeah. else is like oh, that's my who invited ted who invited <laughs> fog guy <laughs> well look look you could i you know like you could be the guitar guy at the party no one wants that guy but i think fog i think i you know you, you can ask anyone who's at that my friend bill's party in like 2006 and i and they will all tell you that that party was significantly improved for the fogging of their basement if you, if, you were um, at, we have, if you were at Ted's friend Bill's party in 2006, please feel free to reach out to me at Twitter. It's at Tim Britton. <laughs> I want to hear the real story. It's a safe space for you to, to, to get, uh, get, get off your chest a party from 15 years ago and, and how you really feel about what happened. Uh, if you're confused about what party, it was the one that Bill billed as the last party because he was about to move to China. Um, we have all, I think everyone who, has been, who was at that at, at party has since attended more parties, and so it wasn't actually the last party. It was just billed as the last party. Uh, we have a question, and an interesting one, from Mike, who via email. If you have a question, please reach out at, at Tim Britton. Tim has already given you his his Twitter address, I am at OG Tedberg, or you can email at ask, or just email asktedberg at gmail.com. Uh, Mike wants to know, the Mets started using a humidor this year. City Field has become about, had be, City Field had become about as neutral a park as there was after moving the fences in. This year, it's basically back to being the original city, killing the Mets offense and turning their collective pitching into peak Pedro. Why did they do this, and how is this not a bigger story? On the road, they have basically hit as we expected to, to, but at home, every Alonzo and Dom Smith fly balls a can of corn. It's brutal to watch. Please make them stop. Uh, I agree with it's brutal to watch, and please make them stop. But the hiccup here um, is that, and and I didn't know anything about this, Tim, so I'm hoping you can give me a lot more information. But uh, I did a little research, and it looks like the Mets actually installed the humidor in City Field for whatever reason, uh, in 2020. And by the 2020 stats, uh, there really isn't as extreme of a home road thing going on. Yeah, so, so baseball, you know, Colorado has had the humidor for a while. Arizona put in the humidor. 
uh, a couple of years ago, and then baseball expanded it. It wasn't just City Field. I think it was a handful of parks that got it before 2020. I think it had to do with, I think baseball's motivation was like trying to figure out the baseball uh, and, and trying to get the baseball right uh, and flying properly. Luckily, they've got that. All. Luckily, luckily, that's all settled now. Right. Um, and so the, 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 I think it's, it's an interesting question, like why, you know, City Field up until that point, um, in like 2018 and 2019 had played uh, in not, not just in terms of like the, the distant the fence distance as a, as a pitcher's park uh, that we know of from, from when it first opened, but like exit velocities were down in the park uh, and just home runs were so much lower than elsewhere in the sport. It seemed like um, it, was, it was like I remember talking to people in the Mets organization uh, that they didn't know why uh, their stadium played the way it did. Uh, and then 2020, uh, I think, you know, you could have said if we were having this conversation uh, at the end of last season that the humidor is what helped their offense, maybe, because uh, that was like uh, uh, our questioner brought up. That was like the first year it really played uh, just about league average in terms of offense. I think looking at the park factors, it was like 98 uh, out of 100 league, uh, is league average. 98 is just, just below pitcher friendly. This year it's down to 90. I mean, the Mets home road splits – they're not that stark. Uh, I'm looking at them now. It's a 683 OPS on the road, 667 at home. It, it's mainly a slugging difference of, of 36 points. You know, it's it's a lot more home runs away from from City Field, uh, 44 to 28, uh, which is basically Alonzo, right? Alonzo has I think 11 on the road and one at home, uh, which is which is very strange. Um, but they've also, you know, the they played, I guess, no, they've, they've evened it out. It's 39-35 uh, road home games. Uh, and we'll, we'll see more of them at home as the weather heats up. You know, they've had some cold games. Uh, I'm not willing to say right now that it's a real home road offense issue. I think it's an offense issue everywhere. Uh, and I wouldn't say, like, that their 232, 298, 385 batting line away from City Field is what this team should be if only they didn't have a humidor at home. Yeah, and if you look, I'm I'm I have the 2020 splits uh, open, and and 2020 everything is a small sample size, but uh, they were 784 OPS at home and 828 on the road, so they were a little bit better on the road last year. But uh, I mean, the big the glaring thing between the 2020 uh, numbers and the 2021 numbers is that the 2021 numbers are both like 150 points lower uh, than they were last year. So I don't think. I can't think it's a it's a home road issue. Um, I would say that in the individual cases, because I have now heard it as like a talking point that Alonzo maybe doesn't hit so well at, at City Field, even though you know we've seen uh, and Pete Alonzo has said very candidly and accurately that uh, no park will hold him if he hits the ball well enough. Um, I tend to think that all of those things are just like sample size blips, even when they occur over a full season. Um, they just they just it's a type of thing that people get pretty worked up about, but it it seems very rare for it to be a lasting issue. Um, like if Pete Alonso can't hit at City Field for the next two years after the, this, then then I'll buy into it. But uh, I would ever you know I would absolutely believe that. Uh, Alonzo will start uh, pulling those numbers closer together this season, and and then uh, they would go back to normal by next year. It's just, um, it's just not something that that 
that often is real. You know, it's it's, just, it's like it's a, it's one of these things. It's just like the the batting average with runners in scoring position thing that we talked about earlier this season. It's something that always comes up because uh, you know we even after halfway through a season, uh, isolating home and road splits, and you're dealing with small sample sizes, and so you you have these fluky stat line issues. Um, I don't think it's a real thing. I just don't think it's a real thing. Yeah, I mean, heading into the season, Alonzo had hit one more home run on the road than at home in his career. His is who's better on the road in, in. But that makes sense. That makes sense because the Mets play in a pitcher-friendly park. Yeah, but I right? mean, like, like, that, like that, it's yeah. not. It wasn't like it was. You know, in 2019, he hit 30 on the on the road and 23 at home or something. He actually hit more at home that season than on the road. His his performance on the road was better. Um, he had a much better batting average on balls in play. Uh, and then it kind of reversed last year, where he was better at home than on the road, uh, even though he hit more home runs away from from City Field. So I, I think it's it's too early to to say that like City Field is uh, Pete Alonso kryptonite or anything like that, or or to worry too much about um, what what the stadium's impact is on this offense. I think it's it's a it's a general offensive malaise that has hit them everywhere. And I would add that uh, something is happening. Many things, perhaps, are happening with offense league-wide uh, evolving too because uh we still don't really know what the effect of the the sticky stuff crackdown will be um uh something that might be relevant to the conversation we had earlier about how much the Mets have struggled with with breaking pitches this season it will be interesting to see if that suddenly ends now that uh that pitchers can't can't use spider tack or whatever else but um it, it's it's uh, a frustrating thing but it's not a thing um yeah, again, just I hate to keep saying sample size, but I'll, I will just keep saying sample size. I, I love the fact that we've landed on the quote unquote sticky stuff controversy uh, for the, for this sport. Like if you had told me uh, in March, like what's going to be the defining topic of conversation in baseball in June and said it's going to be something called the sticky stuff controversy. Uh, I would have it would have been so much fun to try to guess exactly what that would have entailed. Uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, I would say I am glad that we are not yet. We have not yet settled on like something gate, right? Like you've, I've seen it thrown out there. Like people will be like, "Oh, it's like substance gate or whatever." But there are a few things I hate more than the convention of just adding gate to the end of a word as a as a suffix to imply scandal surrounding this thing. Because if you were to use that, you it would have to be the the Watergate gate, and um, the water the name of the hotel is not the water; it's the Watergate. Um, and we've had a other scandals in our nation's history that I think we just ignore. I have, you know, frequently campaigned for saying, like, why don't we call it the uh, sticky stuff pot dome scandal? <laughs> I knew you were going to Teapot Dome because that's that's the best. I was gonna go. To. I was gonna go with like the sticky stuff YZ affair, but those are <laughs> those are the two that I could I could off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean it's it's it is it is nice and encouraging that we are we are not going with gate for once once we once overlook, as a country. Yeah, we really overlook Warren Harding's contributions to this nation's history of scandal. Everybody's all hung up on Nixon, you know, but there there were other other corrupt presidents besides him. Uh, it, Tim, 
I think that that is probably a, a good place to wrap up. So uh, if you've been listening, thank you for listening. Thanks for abiding our our half week off. Um, and please uh, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, give us a, a, a review on iTunes if, if you haven't yet. We appreciate them. And keep tuning in. And peace out. Adios. <laughs>